Hey, welcome to the show. The Overlap is a show about the intersection of design and front-end web development. I'm Elle, a designer. And I'm Alex, a front-end developer. On the show, we share our experience with each other about design and coding. Uh, we teach each other what we know and laugh about what we don't know. So today, Which is a lot. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Today, we're going to be diving into the details of what is a creative brief. That's right. A creative brief is a document that a lot of designers and agencies use or forget to use. And what it does is it outlines the framework of a project. Yeah, um, it's pretty excellent for making sure that everyone is pointing in the right direction. And um, this is really something that you can use pretty much no matter what the project is. It's just a nice first step for planning out everything. So whether or not you're a designer, developer, or something in between, um, you can definitely use a version of this in your work. It's also really helpful to get your client on the same page so that when you deliver a project, you can say, hey, this is what we agreed to. And I can measure the success of what I did against what we agreed to at the beginning of the project. It helps with last minute, like this isn't what I wanted at all. It's like, well, no, we talked about this. So it keeps everybody on the same page, clients, designers, teams. It's important to keep everybody coalesced around the same goal. Yeah. um, And it serves as a document to kind of measure against as the work continues so that the creative team and the client uh, can make sure that they are both staying on target. Right. So as a project progresses, you can say, okay, is this working? Does this fit what we set out to do? So you can constantly be measuring against that and say, okay, I made this, but does it match what we had set out to do? Does it feel like what we wanted to feel like? And you can keep checking as a project goes in. And so that when you get to the end of it, you really do end up with something that you set out to do. Right. And I I think in the beginning of projects, people just kind of start creating something and they don't really ask themselves or or the client doesn't even know um, a lot of answers to what problem they're trying to solve. In a creative brief, you'll identify a lot of things like the demographic, what kind of stakeholders you you have in this project, and it really helps to manage the expectations. So if you don't even know who you are designing for or creating this product for, how do you know what to build? Exactly. That's exactly right. So the brief is really what you do. The creative is how you do it. So if you're solving the problem of a a small business and they want to have an internet presence and tell people who they are and where they are and what they do, the creative is how you solve that problem. How do you communicate who they are, what they are? Right. And and if if their idea of themselves just, hey, we're just an Italian restaurant and that's and that's the end of their idea around themselves, or at least that's the idea that you have about them, you're going to come up with some pretty generic and maybe ill-fitting solutions to their problem. Right. But if they're an Italian restaurant that is in a hip neighborhood that a lot of young people live in, you're going to want to cater your design brief towards those people. Right. And maybe they're known for like organic foods and this, it, it, like the, the more you drill in to the specifics of the problem or of the company or what whatever you're trying to solve, the better the solution will be and the better results it'll get with the actual demographic. And as a designer, that's your job. It's your job to to sort of pull that information out of your client. They might not know, they might not understand what branding is and they might not know what problem you're trying to solve for them. They just say, oh, I need a website. But it's more than that. So it's your job as a designer to really talk to them and listen to them and hear about why they even started their business to get a framework for what your project really will do for them. So you're outlining the problem and then deciding how to solve it and getting buy-in from the very beginning. Like, is this what you want to do? This is how I plan to solve this problem for you. So it's it, it really goes back to design and development being a primarily problem-solving thing. 
you can only solve a problem that you really understand. So it's really your it's really your responsibility to talk to your client and listen to them and say, okay, I'm getting information from you to solve this problem. I'm fully getting my head around what the problem is, and that and that only then when you un- fully understand the problem can you decide how to fix it. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's really, it's very prevalent with design, but um, even with programming, if you're making an app um, that's like an Uber or a Lyft kind of clone, you might follow their same pattern. But if all of a sudden you find out that the demographic for this app should be for seniors, like 60 and older, you're going to want voice to text to be a big part of this, right? Like you need to understand your demographic no matter what you are creating. Right. And asking really good questions at the top of a project can help you understand the problem. So a creative brief helps you identify the questions that you need to ask and it guides the conversation between you and your client so that you can solve their problem effectively. If you're solving the problem that your client believes needs solved, that's what a real successful design project is. So the creative brief needs to answer three key questions, but often they go deeper. Uh, What is the problem that needs to be solved? Who are you solving the problem for? And what product, service, or solution would solve the core problem? So to go back to the Italian restaurant, their problem, the problem that needs to be solved is people need to know about them. People need to hear about that they exist, what food they serve, that what time they're open. Right. Uh, maybe how to order if if they deliver, how to call and make a reservation. Right. So you ask your client all of these questions, like what what really is this thing? Then you can figure out who you're solving the problem for. So people get information in different ways. And you need to consider that when you're building the thing, right. whatever the right. thing is. If, if you're trying to appeal to a younger demographic, maybe a traditional website isn't the right way to go, but you go for some kind of Snapchat or Instagram type focus more over um, just a traditional HTML, CSS website. Right. So what product, service, or solution would solve that core problem? People needing to know about this Italian restaurant. So once you once you identify all of those things and you pull that out of your client, you can set about designing a solution for them. The creative brief is becomes a roadmap for you. Um, it, and it also becomes a roadmap for the client because then they know what to expect going forward. A lot of clients have never worked with design agencies before or understand design as a practice. So the creative brief helps all members of the creative team and all all of the stakeholders on the client side understand what what's coming, what to expect. It also identifies the specific deliverables. So you've identified the problem and you've identified how to solve the problem. Maybe it's more than a website. Maybe it's content strategy. Maybe it's, you know, print materials. Maybe it's advertising. Maybe it's, you know, so identifying what those deliverables are also helps your client understand like what's coming next. Right. Uh, would, would you say that you want to kind of figure those things out after you've identified the problem? Because I, I feel like a lot of people put the what first, right? Like the, oh, we need pamphlets or we need this or we need flyers or we need an Instagram right. account without actually understanding what the problem is, just knowing that they need that thing because they've seen other people have that thing. Right. So it's, it's okay. That's when you ask the question, okay, well, what will this pamphlet do for you? Right. What, what will you get from having an Instagram account? Right. So like they're coming up with solutions and we haven't identified the problem yet. Right. Exactly. So it's good to understand that you need to frame the problem before you identify the solutions. And a, and a lot of people outside of the creative industry don't think that way. Right. Right. They, they I mean, most business owners just kind of come out like, oh, we need X and don't we have just a, need a website. Right. Just because you know that you have uh, or that other people have websites or you've been told that you, you, you need a website. I love when uh, clients come to me and they say, I just need X. 
it's so minimizing and it's like, oh, I just need a website. Well, okay. But what do you need it for? Oh, I just need it. Like think, thinking through what you need and why you need it is really important. And the creative brief documents that. And then it also becomes a document to facilitate conversations with people. It's really important to be specific, be really clear about the critical points that you need to communicate upfront. A well-written brief helps the creative team stay focused on the goal, the what, the solution. It's important to be as clear as possible at the beginning of a project so that as the project progresses, everybody's still focused on the goal, the outcome. So to get into the nitty gritty of what should be in a creative brief, you should identify your project scoped. So that's like the tone, the execution, the deliverables. What all? What are all the things that you need? Do you need content strategy? Do you need an Instagram account? Do you need a Twitter account? Like, do you need a, uh, certain functions on your website? What What is the website going to do for you? So, to go back to the Italian restaurant, if the Italian, if the website is going to function as a way to order or a way to make catering requests, you need to figure that out because the technology that you build the website on would depend on what features that you need. If it has that, you're going to want to put the menu on the site and not just have a call button and no information about what kind of food that they're offering. It's important to study the contact. How does this fit into other restaurants in the neighborhood? Or if, if this is a grand opening campaign, like how does what other things do you need to do to get people to know that you're going to be open? Have you done anything like this in the past? If it's if it's been a if it's a well established place, like do you have you ever done something like that? Like what worked in the past? Like what success what was successful or what didn't work in the past? Studying what you've done before can help frame a, a strategy for going forward. And then timeline. Managing expectations about time is really important. I, I think that a lot of times people don't understand how long things take. I just need a website. Like, well, it does. I, I can't just do that in an afternoon. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something about um, there's like a triangle or just like a, a, a list of three things where, you know, you 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 want it cheap, you want it well done and you want it fast and you have to pick two of those. Yeah. Fast, good and cheap. Pick two. Right. I said that to someone once and they were like, but I want all three. Yeah, that's not how that works. Yeah, they're not a client anymore. Right. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, you've, it's unrealistic. You've, you've it's unrealistic. Pick, no, right, because if you do want it uh, nice and fast, they're going to have to pay a lot because you're going to be putting in a lot of overtime or just just busting your butt on it. So, so, so a creative brief, like it's it's a good reference document, and it's not static. It's not set in stone. As you work through a problem and as you sort of dig deeper into what the problem is, like what the project is, it might be that you see something and respond to something and say, oh, you know, I don't want it to feel fun or young. I sort of want it to feel a little more sophisticated. You know, you can go back to your creative brief and say, okay, we we sort of want to change tack a little bit here. We want it to feel more like this. Yeah. And pulling out those, those, those adjectives. Um, can be so important in a design in a, a design brief just to make sure that everyone can look at it and agree. Yes, this feels like these adjectives. This feels sophisticated. This is going to this is going to resonate with that audience. And I, I just so many projects get started without thinking deeply about what the audience about who the audience is, about what the audience likes, about other things that the audience consumes on a regular basis. That goes back to context. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you definitely want to research other successful brands 
in the sphere that, 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 that you're entering. You want to look at some other local Italian restaurants that seem to have good branding and see what they've done that's successful. Not to copy, but to use that in your research and be inspired by it. It's important to see where your thing fits into the universe of other things like it. Yeah. No, um, you don't want to create something and have the user or the the audience say, what is that? Is that an Italian restaurant or is that a Greek yogurt shop? Like it's it you want them to be able to understand and speak with your design in a common language that other Italian restaurants might have. Right. And it's important because like the words you use is only one part of it. So people understand who you are and what you do based on more than just what you say. It's how you say it. Hmm. What do the words look like? What you know, people need to get what you are right away. Yeah, if if you're if you're using Comic Sans for a very sophisticated restaurant's menu, uh, you're you're sending mixed messages. It's like, oh, cool. There's just Barilla pasta back there in a microwave. Right. Yeah. No, I'm thinking it's Craft Easy Mac, and uh, you know, it's it's going to cost me three dollars. So you're setting the tone and the expectation of someone. Like someone doesn't know the thing that was really the thing that really made Creative Briefs makes sense to me was that people can't see inside your brain unless you do something to put those things out. Huh. You know what I mean? Like, like something that makes sense to you might not make sense to someone else because our brains are really complicated. So a creative brief is really just a, a document to respond to and say, is this, this is what I was thinking. Is this right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it cuts through the, the words that have no meaning, just like make it hot, make it, good make it awesome make it uh pop make it uh you know just just make it slick like the, clean yeah these words don't actually have um at, at least a common meaning to to the point that you can say that to me and we can all agree that one thing is hot or nice and it's all so subjective so it's it's sort of making those words really meaningful and I think that the creative brief also is a really good client tool because it says it's it enables you to say this is what I heard you say I listened to you I heard you I'm solving your problem I'm not just churning out a website because I give websites to everybody would would this be a part where you bring a mood board in you can yeah I think that you can have a creative a creative brief that has a mood board or a style tile I'm a huge fan of the style tile right I remember you telling me about those can you explain what that is yeah heavy into the style tile. So a, a style tile, and this might be sort of tangential to the creative brief idea, but a style tile um, is something that you make when you're working on something and it just gives you the gen general flavor of what a brand would look like. So you'll show fonts and colors and maybe shapes. Maybe there's a kit of icons. And then the other thing that I like to include in a style tile is like words that describe how you want it to feel. I put together a style tile for a project and... I showed some examples of photography and a, like a short type hierarchy system and a, a handful of colors, like primary colors, secondary colors. It's almost like a reference card for a brand guide. And it's it's a really quick thing that you can make without having to put together, you know, a multi-page brand standards manual. And you can just put it in front of your client and say, this is what, I, from what you've told me, this is what I think we've talked about. Does this feel right to you? And it's it's 
it's so hard to put words to how something feels sometimes. And especially with people who don't, who aren't in the creative industry or haven't worked with a designer or a developer, like it's very hard for them to put into words, like if something feels right. And a lot of times it's like pornography, you know it when (laughs) you see it. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it's a really, so it's, it's, it's not a very, like you're not sinking a bunch of time into an entire website for them to say, it just doesn't feel right. It's, it's like a really good way to sort of, it's like a litmus test. Like, does, is, this is what I heard from you. Does this feel right to you? And a lot of times, like people have something in their head, but they can't get it out until they see something to respond to. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they don't speak in that same kind of vocabulary as a trained designer will. And so it's, it's definitely your job to kind of probe their understanding of their brand and what they think their problem is and kind of provide them those solutions and um, see if that's the language that, that, or see if that was a successful iteration of that solution. So I think that it's a great, a style tile is a quick way to get to that very quickly without sinking a bunch of time into a fully fleshed out design. Because if someone's like, you know, I like this, but I just hate blue. You can spend, you know, three hours putting a style tile together or a few options together, or you can spend 12 hours building out an entire suite of pieces like or print pieces or whatever, only to find out that they don't like blue. And people have weird visceral reactions to color. This happened to me at work recently. Um, Someone didn't care for one of the colors in our palette. So we had to change tack and apply that color in a different way. Interesting. Um, And he said, I, I, I don't know. I just, I can't, I just hate it. Huh. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's, that's valid in the sense that he doesn't know why he doesn't like it, but he just doesn't. Right. And, and he doesn't need to know why he doesn't like it, but we, we need to come up with a strategy to use the color in a way that is less intense or less the focus, you know, and it's, it was, it was really interesting because there's no real rhyme or reason. It's just, I don't like it. And you're going to come into that. Like people just don't like stuff and that's okay. It's totally okay. And there's no reason to campaign for something. If you're just not going to win with someone who has an opinion yeah. and that, and it's not, it's not really about winning. I'm going to cut all this out, but <laughs> cause I'm afraid to talk about work on this podcast. <laughs> I think what you said was fine. Yeah. But yeah, like people have visceral reactions to things and that's, that's okay. So you need to be able to work with that. And if you sink only a little bit of time to, to get that information, they might not even need to tell you that they don't like blue. They may not open with that. It might not be something that they figure out until they see it on a style tile and respond to it. So I think a style tile is a really quick tool that it doesn't require a lot of time up front and you can get people to respond to how something feels without having a fully fleshed out product. But with with that reaction, with that same sort of, I just don't like it or I, I don't like blue or something like that, I think another reason why the design brief is so important is that you up front can have the have the discussion with the business owner who let's be honest might have bad taste in design and um you know just because they like a logo doesn't mean it is a successful logo or just because they like the look of a website doesn't mean it's going to be a successful website. For instance, lots of business owners want music and video to play as soon as you hit their website. No, everyone on the earth hates that. Right. But a lot of business owners want that because they think 
it does something for their website. Oh. In my opinion, you as a professional need to say, this is only going to make your site load slower, make people leave your site immediately because they want the music to stop. And it's going to reduce sales and it's going to hurt your brand and hurt your company. And we really shouldn't do this. You can either put your foot down and say, we really, really shouldn't. Or I, as a professional, do not put music autoplaying on websites. I don't do it. There is, yeah, I I forget where I heard it, but something just about professionalism, where uh, if someone went to a doctor and said, my arm hurts, please cut it off. That doctor as a professional would not say, all right, you, you know better. They would refuse it. So this person asking for music to autoplay on their website, as a professional, I feel like there are some things where you kind of need to go, yeah, no, you're like a paper salesman. You don't need music on your site. You're not exactly like, a rich experience kind of thing. Like there are some sites where, you know, if, if it's a, around a movie or something, maybe like video, sure, maybe, but it should be muted. But yeah, I, I, I think that you laying out the, the demographics and what the problem is and, and assessing all of this upfront helps you to convince a client that they might be in the wrong with their gut feelings about things because that absolutely happens. Bad logos are chosen often. Bad website designs happen often. And it's a lot of the times because the client went with what they thought was right. But if you can help convince them that their demographic will respond better to this one versus the autoplay video site, you can help make a more successful product that will solve the problem better and not just make them happy. The goal of a project shouldn't be solely to make the client happy. That's an outcome. That's more of like an outcome of a successful project. If the metric that you're measuring by is the size of the client's smile, then go for that. Make that client as happy as you want. But generally... You want to give that Italian restaurant more sales. You want to bring some kind of benefit that usually ends in money to that client. If 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 it's a nonprofit, maybe you want to get them more donations or more funds or just get their brand out there more and have more people exposed to it. Maybe that's the metric. But if you are just going off of the client doesn't like or the client likes it, and that's the sole metric then you, you're going to miss the mark with clients that don't have excellent taste. To go back to the doctor analogy, designers don't have the degree on the wall and the years of training and the licensure to establish themselves as experts. So having the creative brief and having the style tile and talking about design in a way when you talk about it as a function, something that functions for you, something that solves a problem for you, it positions you as an expert as opposed to someone who just polishes things and makes pretty things. It positions you more as a trustworthy person. And again, it's important to say, I heard you say this. When people think that they're being heard, they think that you're, A, you're you're listening to them, which is good. It's not just like a weird sociopathic manipulation thing. It's it, it makes business owners trust you. It makes product owners trust you because you're listening to their actual problem and solving a real thing for them. So I think it, being positioned as an expert, as someone who knows what they're talking about, who can set expectations, who can manage expectations, things like that, and getting the inf- and set, setting yourself up to get the information you need out of people who don't necessarily know how to share that or even know that they need to share that 
helps you become a better designer, become a better developer, and be, and frankly, just become a better business partner. Yeah, if if you don't set this up in the beginning, you will be doing revisions. I mean, you're going to be doing revisions anyway, but the this upfront work will save you from doing tons of revisions. And if you have a limit on your revisions, um, which you know I think most people tend to. Um, and probably should. You don't want to. Unlimited revisions can be a double-edged sword. Contract writing next next right. episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, seriously. Managing client expectations next time on the pod. Oh man, we have a lot of topics. Those revisions. Um, after a few, both sides are grumpy, right? Both sides aren't happy. Both sides just kind of want it to be over. Um, and if you have limited revisions, then you might have a client who's walking away not satisfied. Um, because up front, you didn't say, hey, what do you want exactly? Let's let's break this down and let's both agree to the thing that you want. If if you take a client in and think that it's too much to bother them with asking a few or answering a few questions about their own brand, the qu- questions that quite frankly will actually help them understand their own company better. Um, and and be beneficial to them m- m- most likely. Then you're you're going to pay for it on the back end. If you just jump into a project, if you just say you're you're an Italian restaurant, cool, I'll send you a logo in 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 a week. There's going to be disappointment on both sides, and this process up front it shows that you are a professional, like like El was saying, and it allows you if if you're freelancing or if you are working for a company, it allows you to charge more because you your whole service feels more professional because you get results faster in in less revisions than other companies do because they just take the Italian restaurant, they run with it, they throw the person back some logos with tomatoes or, or olive leaves and they say, hey, how's this? And we kick into revision after revision after revision. You're going to be the professional that gets the questions answered and find out about this brand and you give them what they actually need. You solve their problem. So having these conversations and positioning yourself as an expert helps establish a relationship and it can lead to a partnership. So you become a you become this trusted partner where they they turn to you and say, hey, you know, I know that you're a designer, but I'm having this problem with something else unrelated. What do you think? Huh. Interesting. What kinds of things have you experienced with that? So uh, I had a client come to me to design a logo and we had worked through it and, you know, we did sketches and revisions and we sort of talked about what we want the whole place to feel like. We looked at the interiors and the, the materials that they were using and they said to me, Hey, do you know anybody that designs signs? Huh. And I was like, actually I do. <laughs> Me. Nice. So I ended up doing um, their whole branding suite and a huge sign on the outside of their restaurant. Yeah, I, I remember you doing that. Yeah, yeah, that was a cool. That was a really cool project, and I was really, really pleased with how that came out. And um, it just became a, a partnership, and it was like, okay, well, what what do you need? How can I help you get the thing that you need? And and when you have a few skills. And you can keep a relationship going with a client, you're able to kind of be their go-to person for that whole suite of skills, like stuff, whatever it is, because you're a smart person, a capable person, and you talk to them about what they actually need. Like you could also probably spin up a WordPress site for them or spin up at least a Wix or a Squarespace for them and kind of help them there. Like you can be their point of contact for a few 
different problems that they have. Or point them to someone else who knows who, who is an expert in it. So just, just to be a trusted partner like that. And the creative brief facilitates those conversations and helps people understand themselves and their business better. Nice. So it's, it's an important thing to have and it's a great roadmap and it's underused. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think the thing that I like most about it is that people can reference it and say, so wait, I've made this thing. I've worked on this. Does that fit in with our ultimate framework? Does this fit into the the goal of the thing? And and, and actually, I just said it, it's, it's underused. I think it's actually one of the things that separates amateur design studios or amateur freelancers from professional ones. So it's, it's underused by amateurs or just people starting out or people who have been doing mediocre work for a long time. And uh, it doesn't have to be a, a laborious thing. It can be a quick thing. You know, it can be five questions. Yeah, don't 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 torture your uh, your your clients with it. But yeah. um, <laughs> we've we've got some good examples of uh, creative briefs that we will put in the show notes. Yeah, lots. There's lots of resources out there to yeah. figure out how to write it, and it depends on how what kind of project you're doing. So you're going to want to tailor it per client, per project, per campaign, or whatever. It's 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 not hard to tailor it. Just uh, you don't want to throw a completely boilerplate thing at them. The, the 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 more you can tailor it, the more professional you'll seem. Right. And if you give, if, especially with someone you've worked with a lot of times, like, okay, yes, you know my brand. <laughs> we don't need to keep rehashing like what I want my brand to feel like. We've done right. this. So. Yeah. Uh, but but if, if, if it's a new problem that this same brand is facing, you'll, you'll want to take what you know about the brand and kind of investigate this new problem this new facet of their company that they're trying to unveil. That's right. That's exactly right. And we'll also put some style tiles in the show notes so that you guys can kind of get a visual for that. Um, I I, kind of think about it like um, if you have paint chips and some fabric swatches and things like that for what, you know, like a living room might look like eventually, you can agree on the paint chips and agree on the fabric swatches and agree on maybe some pictures of vases and stuff. So... And it gives you an idea of all how all the pieces fit together, and you can respond to that. That's a, and that's a, a a common interior design practice. I think that's about all I got to say. Anything more from you? No, I'm good. I think this is a quality episode. I uh, hope you guys got a lot out of learning about creative briefs, and hope you can use them both for development and for design. And project briefs for projects near and far. Near and far. Yes. <laughs> and project briefs for like smaller scale projects with with a client who you've already done a creative brief with. So it's 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 a good easy document and it keeps everybody focused on the goal. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Send your questions and comments to us on Twitter. I can be found at Mr. Trost. And I'm at Love Letters Co. And for more episodes and show notes, please check out our website overlappodcast.com. Uh, big thanks to AA Alto on Free Music Archive for the music in our intro, outro, all that good stuff. Love the song. Subscribe where you get your podcasts. Maybe it's Spotify. Maybe it's Apple. Maybe it's Stitcher. I don't know. Just mash that subscribe button. Just mash it. Smash it. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs>